Well, good morning. And yes, I'm going to sit again. <laughs> the, uh, welcome everybody here, everybody online. As you know, I'm an associate pastor. My name is Eric Birch, and um, I get the privilege of uh, bringing the message uh, to you. You know, we've been on a um, series called Identity in Christ, and the, um, as we've seen through this thing, being a Christian, you're a different kind of person. Uh, you stand out from non-Christians. Uh, we're new creations. Um, there should be a direct and evidential uh, contradiction to the behavior of the world. Um, you know, we talk about oil and water. It's, it's hard to mix. They can exist in the same container, but they don't work the same way. They don't mix together. Um, we're in the world that is in darkness, and we are to bring light. Um, and we are in a new family, the adopted children of God. We are God's people. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are the chosen people of God, called out of darkness into light, choosing to accept the graciousness uh, that he has given us and all the blessings that that entails. Um, and with that, acceptance, uh, with that acceptance, we also accept that we are to serve the Lord and serve the people around us. Um, and it's important that we share the good news of Jesus Christ in the world we're in today. Uh, knowing that in the end we will stand before God and look forward to those special words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I love that song, the mercy me. You know, what are you going to do when you're standing before God? You know, it's like, are you going to even speak? I mean, the glory will be just so amazing. Um, and it's funny, people are like, oh, I've got a hundred questions. That's going to be on top of your mind. <laughs> You're going to be like going, whoa. You know, it's like a four-year-old with fireworks, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, all right. So today's message I titled, I'm a citizen of heaven. Um, it comes again from Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven for which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to make a small tangent in this message, um, but it'll make sense uh, once we get around to the, the main point here. So uh, there's a lot of people who want to label America a Christian nation. Um, now, Christians are followers of Christ, uh, whereas a nation is a group of people who share a common identity, um, often because of a common origin. Uh, and there were many founders of our country that were not Christian. Uh, Example, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Paine, and Benjamin Franklin were all deists. They weren't Christian. And so America is not a Christian nation in the sense that all founders were Christians or that you had to be a Christian in order to be in the United States. Um, but we're labeled often a Christian nation because it was the principles of Christianity that were used to build this nation. Uh, and there's no question that the majority of the original colonists that came here were Christian. The um, only thing that the Catholics, Presbyterians, and Lutherans agreed on in Europe was that they should kill the Anabaptists. Um, and so many of the Anabaptist groups fled 
um, Europe to the United States because they wanted a safe place to worship. Um, and they wanted to be able to worship however they felt they should be able to worship. And that's why freedom of religion is such a critical thing in this country. Um, the um, Supreme Court wrote in, 19, in 1892, from the discovery of this continent to the present hour, there is a single voice making this affirmation. This is a Christian nation. So it's important to understand that while we are not, quote, a Christian nation, as in there's a stamp that says the official religion of the United States is Christianity, you have to understand that the tenets that built this country are, in fact, the tenets that we hold as Christians. Now, again, many of the founding fathers um, were Christians and often quoted scripture when they were passing laws and writing um, documents. And, and the, um, there's just a wealth of, of writings. If you go to the original, and one of the things that's really cool, because you can get it for free on, um, on Amazon, you can download almost all of the biographies and writings of many of our founding fathers, their diaries. You can go get all this information. And it's amazing how much they write about the reality of government and faith. Um, Noah Webster, the founding father of American scholastic and education, or scholarship and education said, in my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. 11 of the 13 original colonies required anyone holding office to be Christian. For instance, the Delaware Constitution initially required that everyone appointed to office must say, I do profess faith in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, his only Son. And that's out of the Delaware Constitution from 1776. Georgia, of course because of King George, um, allowed holders of public office to be either Christian or Catholic. Um, and New Jersey had no such requirement because they believed that there was people who might claim to be Christian even if they weren't, if that's what was required to get elected. Now, I can't imagine why they thought a politician would lie to get elected, but uh, <laughs> I guess it's possible. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the important part here is we have the First Amendment that was written to ensure that no religion became the religion of the United States. The... Um, most of the immigrants that came to the United States were coming from countries where you had to have a specific religion if you lived in that country, right? So if you were German, you had to be a Lutheran. If you were from Spain or France, you had to be a Catholic. If you were from the UK, you had to be an Anglican. Um, so they had forced religion, and that was the thing they didn't want. They didn't want forced religion. They wanted to be able to be free to express their religious values however they saw. Uh, so the Founding Fathers wanted that to be the way in America. So they established what was called the Establishment Clause to the Bill of Rights in the First Amendment, which reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So contrary to popular opinion, the concept of separation of church and state is not in any document that's a, a government. It's not in the Declaration of Independence. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in any of those things. Actually, what that, that comment came from, Thomas Jefferson wrote in January of 1802 to the Danbury Baptists who wanted to have an established religion that, no, you can't do that, that there is a separation between church and state and that you can't force someone to follow a certain religion. Um, now, 
when we talk about religion, it's important we understand what religion is. So, of course, as you know, my favorite, Merriam-Webster, defines religion. Religion is a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. So there are many religions. Some are theistic, some are non-theistic. Some follow a god, some follow many gods. Some follow no gods at all, or at least no theistic-style god. I believe everyone has a religion and everyone has a god, uh, but uh, not necessarily one you can point to, right? So... So anyway, the important part here is that in America, you have to be, have a right to be whatever religion you want. You can be a Christian, a Muslim, a Hindu, an existentialist, a pantheist, a secularist, any religion you want. Uh, and the Establishment Clause lasted until the 1960s when effectively secular humanism became the established religion of the United States. Now, the reason that's really important is because secular humanism teaches that human beings are capable of being ethical and moral without belief in a deity and is therefore directly opposed to Christianity. Because we know in Christianity, our whole moral compass is this book. And secular humanists believe this book shouldn't count for anything. So we're in direct opposition to that whole concept. And as we know, it's been established in our public school system. So it's not surprising that we're running into conflict when it comes to the beliefs between secular humanism and Christianity. All right, just a couple other things before I transition here. Pledge of Allegiance, One Nation Under God, 1892. In God We Trust became the motto of the United States, replaced E Pluribus Union, 1956. So again, we have a rich tradition in God and in beliefs that we established as Christians. All right, enough of the history lesson. I wanted to set the foundation, though. Now, show of hands, how many people were born in the United States? Yeah, kind of what I thought. Most everybody, right? So it's interesting because when we look at that, we think of uh, being born in the United States makes you a citizen of the United States. The United States is one of 33 countries in the world where born in that country makes you a citizen. Um, So it's pretty significant in the United States. And, And citizenship means a lot in this country. Um, because we have a rich mixture of people who have become citizens of the United States. Um, My son was born in the Philippines uh, on an Air Force base, so he was both a citizen of the Philippines and a citizen of the United States until he turned 18. And at 18, he had to pick one. You can guess which one he picked. So, of course, he stayed in the United States. My mom was born in France, and she became a citizen of the United States by going through the process of naturalization. So she had to learn English, she had to take it back then, you had to learn English, you had to take a test, you had to do all this stuff in order to become a citizen, which she did. Um, And so citizenship is really an important thing when it comes to uh, living in this country. And we have people in the United States that are aliens. And an alien is just a legal term used to refer to a person who is not a citizen uh, or a national within the United States. And so that brings me to my first point. As Christians, we have dual citizenship. One is earthly, one is eternal. So while we live as citizens of the United States, that is not our eternal home, right? We are just sojourners on this earth. Our stay on earth is brief compared to how long we will spend um, in our future heavenly home. And since our true citizenship is in heaven and is by heaven's standard, we should live. Now, in the book of Hebrews, um, after extolling the faith of Abraham and Sarah, the writer writes, 
uh, this is Hebrew chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of a country which they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So just as Abraham and Sarah were strangers and exiles in their lands, they looked forward to the day that they would get a permanent home. Um, and so we should be looking forward to going to our own permanent homes where we will be in the presence of the Lord. So again, for us, the United States is a temporary home, and we're blessed to live here, uh, some certainly more than others, uh, but most importantly, it is our temporary home. And so as I discussed earlier, Christians are different than non-Christians and should act like it. Michael Brown, author of the book, The Political Seduction of the Church, writes, the church of Jesus, meaning the community of believers worldwide through all generations, is utterly transcendent. It has been purchased at the highest imaginable cost, the blood of the Son of God, and it consists of hundreds of millions of redeemed men and women from every background and ethnicity and color. Those who are part of this blood-bought community live in every nation of the earth, yet their citizenship is in heaven. They are in this world, but not part of it. Those that are part of this community are united, but not by any earthly creed or national anthem. We are united by a shared citizenship in God's heavenly kingdom and our joint status as sons or daughters in his heavenly family. So when you think about it, that, that you, as Christians, in God's family, have uh, brothers and sisters from all over the world, through all layers of history, that will all live in heaven. So it's much, much larger when we think of Christians in the United States, right? So that brings me to an important question. How do we live in the United States as good citizens when our citizenship is in heaven? So as good citizens of the United States, we have some certain obligations, certain standards um, that we have to follow. And as Christians, though, we have a higher set of standards that we are to follow. Uh, and we can't let the situation here on earth deter us from following the standards that God gave us. So as you might imagine, that kind of puts us in a position of tension. We have to be good citizens here in the United States because it's the right thing to do, but we more importantly have to be good citizens of heaven. So that's going to create some conflicts. Now, I may be stepping on some toes as I go into this next one, so I apologize in advance. And if you have an issue with me, please bring it to me afterwards, and I'll be happy to discuss it with you. Uh, but I, I don't want there to be any confusion, but I think it's really important that we discuss this. There's a false perception about Christians that's being perpetrated by both extreme sides um, of the political picture. And it's this term that's used declaring that this Christian nationalism. Now, in that definition, the way it's purported by the extremes, it's an oxymoron. You know, an oxymoron is two words that just don't go together. You know, like jumbo shrimp, awfully good, climb down, you know, that kind of stuff. Because the bottom, is, bottom line is, is that as Christians, we live in a balance 
of Christianity and citizenship in the United States. We don't live in those extremes. Um, we certainly shouldn't. And I'll be honest with you, I think we saw the perhaps the worst display of this distorted view of Christian nationalism during this January 6th Capitol riots. Uh, the media tagged the January 6th riots as evangelical Christians' insurrection on behalf of Donald Trump. Um, I don't know about you, but when I heard that on the news, I'm like, that's not us. That doesn't represent us as evangelical Christians. I mean, that's a small group expressing their opinion, but it's not us. Trump's longtime spiritual advisor and White House advisor and TV evangelist Paula White opened the event with a prayer, calling on God. Do you get that picture? To give us victory and holy boldness in this hour. Flanked by a row of American flags, she continued, let every adversary against democracy, against freedom, against life, against liberty, against justice, against peace, against righteousness be overturned in the name of Jesus. That's not Christian. And we know what happened afterwards. You show the next picture. This is not Christianity. That is the greatest contradiction ever. I mean, that picture right there to me was the greatest contradiction. Violence, destruction of property, and then holding up a holy Bible in the middle of it all. That is not Christianity. It was a sad day for America and a sad day for Christianity in America. And I want to say with absolute clarity, there is nothing Christian about that behavior. And those, that behavior also does not represent what it means to be a good citizen of the United States. So I would argue that neither extreme definition by the left or the right reflects the value of the majority of Christian Americans. I don't know about you, but I feel left out in the middle. Seems like the loudest noises are on either side and the the bulk of Christianity is ignored and is quiet. 64% of Americans identify as Christian. That's approximately 210 million people. 10,000 people were involved in the January 6th protests in Washington, D.C., of which 2,000 entered the Capitol. 2,000 people do not represent the 210 million of us that claim ourselves to be Christian and American. Now, we may disagree with the events that unfold in our society, but how we behave in this disagreement tells volumes about who we are. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2 says, Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they have opposed uh, and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, when Don and I lived in the Philippines, we had to follow Philippine law. Um, and as God's people living in the United States, we have to follow U.S. law. And when U.S. law contradicts God's law, then we have a position to refuse U.S. law, but we also have a process to do it. Um, we must do so in a peaceful, Christ-like manner. Christianity is not allied with any party or any politician. 
I'm not saying that we cannot get involved in politics. I absolutely believe we should, but not through violence, hatred, and flaming rhetoric. So how did we get here? Because I don't know if you're wondering, like, wow, it just seems like the last decade has just been really off the wall. Um, and it seemed like there was a lot of coexistence for a very long time, and then something happened. So anyway, like I said, secular humanism really became the established religion of the United States in the 1960s, um, and there has been a, that, because they conflict directly with Christianity, there has been conflict ever since. Um, now, there's an old parable about putting a frog in a pot, and if you heat it up slow enough, the frog won't jump out of the pot. Well, in reality, that's not true. Uh, they will jump out of the pot. When it gets too hot, they're going to jump, which I believe is what happened in this country. The extremes got so extreme that the frog jumped out of the pot. People stopped saying, I'm going to do nothing, and decided they were going to do something. Unfortunately, some of the frogs jumped too far. <laughs> so, for us, the real debate is obeying God and his principles or not, right? Many in this country want the freedom to do what they want, when they want to do it, how they want to do it, and to whom they want without caring about anything. Psalm 12, verse 8 says, The wicked strut around on every side when vileness is exalted in the sons of mankind. We know as Christians you cannot do whatever you want, whenever you want to, to whoever you want to. That's not right. That's not what this book teaches. And so we're in direct conflict with that idea. For us, the truth of the Bible comes first. You know, as I've said before, this is our standard of behavior. This is the keel that guides our boat. This is what keeps us in line. You know, I've always been amazed, if you've ever been sailing, the, when you're sailing, the, the, the sail can turn however it needs to, but the keel is what keeps it going in the right direction. Because as the wind pushes against the keel, it moves the boat forward, but the keel keeps the boat straight. And this is our keel. This is what we guide ourselves to. If we want to know how we're supposed to answer something, we open this book and ask, what is it I'm supposed to do? What am I supposed to believe? Now, as you all know, I believe the Bible is very clear on many of the issues we face today. And standing up for our beliefs is an essential part of the Christian walk. But how we do that is more important than anything we can say. As Dan brought up the quote uh, a couple weeks ago from Peter Kreft, the world was won for Christ not by argument, by but by sanctity. What you speak so loud, I can hardly hear. What you are, speak so loud, I can hardly hear what you say. How we present ourselves to the world has so much more to do than what we say. So I repeat the question, how do we live in the United States as good citizens when we are citizens, our citizenship is in heaven? So first of all, I want to point out that in this country, there is far more that unites us than divides us. Though strangers on earth, exiles waiting to go to heaven, we are not immune to what happens on this earth or circumstances of living in the flesh. Right? We're not granted exemptions because we're Christian. When there's famine in an area, there's famine for Christians and non-Christians. When there's war or violence in an area, 
There is war and violence for Christians and non-Christians. Take a look at the Ukraine. The weather affects both Christians and non-Christians. Hurricane Ian did not knock down houses preferentially. We are exposed to the same ills. Christians and non-Christians got COVID. Christians and non-Christians get cancer. We're all exposed to the same benefits as well. When God blesses the land, he scatters his blessings on all, Christian and non-Christian. So first point, therefore we must take interest in the land we live in and seek to do good among our neighbors. The Good Samaritan sought not only to do good for Samaritans, but for Jewish as well. Samaritans are not related to the Jewish people and therefore didn't owe them any assistance out of a kinship relationship. Uh, but that did not stop the good from Samaritan for doing good to a Levite who had been attacked and left for dead. Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says, Seek the prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord in its behalf, for in its prosperity will be your prosperity. When America is successful, Christians in America are successful. While we're here, we'll work toward the prosperity of this country, the land that we live in, and also the people who live here, Christian and non-Christian. The work we did across the street at the house, that is what talks about Christianity. That's what Christians do. We serve. As, God, as Dan pointed out last week, Christians serve people, Christian and non-Christian. The Brethren denomination has a positional paper on where we stand with issues of social justice. And it's social justice for all, Christians and non-Christians. We care about the poor, the disenfranchised, the immigrant, the widow, and the orphan. I know that um, yesterday there was a training here for people that are going to be working with the um, uh, immigrants coming in to our country. It's what we do. We serve. We believe that all people, all people, were created in the image of God and are intrinsically valuable. We believe that people are unique creations knit together in the womb of their mother to be exactly the unique and purposeful being that they are. And so it's right for us to want to protect the rights of the born and the unborn for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as quoted in our Declaration of Independence. It's a contradiction to want to do otherwise. Number two, we should care about our environment. A healthy environment is good for all of us. And it doesn't matter where you stand on global climate change. Being a good steward of this planet is something that God requires us to do. It's God's created world, and he is, we have been given the privilege and responsibilities of habitation and stewardship. Um, it is the stage on which we come to know and interact with our Creator. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who live in it, all of which belong to the Lord. So we should take time to understand the issues from reliable sources. And I know this is going to upset people, but Facebook and TikTok are not reliable sources. I know. 
We should not be over-consumers. Now, Earth Overshoot this year is August 1st. So if you don't know what Earth Overshoot Day is, it's the day at which we use up more resources than the Earth can recreate or, re or regenerate in a year. So this year, the world, August 1st. Anybody want to guess when it was for the United States? March 15th. When it comes to countries in the world, we are the, first, the fourth largest consumer of resources in opposition to its ability to, re, to replenish in the, in the world. Only beaten by Qatar, Yemen, and uh, one more Middle Eastern country. Number four in the world, right? 166 countries and we're running fourth. So overshoot's kind of like running out of money before you run out of month. So in the United States, it's like running out of money on the first Thursday of the month. So. Again, so you, have to, you don't have to be a math major to figure out that's not going to last. You know, they're going to run out. And we owe it to generations that follow us to be good stewards of this planet. And there are concrete ways for us to reduce our consumption, and we should pursue those. All right, number three. We need to learn to share the truth in a manner that encourages people to listen. When I was uh, at the U of A, I used to teach there in, um, at the Eller School, there was a guy that used to sit on the mall with a Bible and he would scream and yell at people and show them the Bible. That is not a good way to get people to listen. Um, the way in which we respond to people we disagree with will show more about who you are and what you believe than anything you can possibly say. Um, and it's not wrong to be grieved by the ongoing, what's happening to the unborn in this country, or the sexualization of our children in elementary school, or the endless stream of sensual music that plays across the internet, or the amazing amount of porn that's in nearly every show today. It's amazing how many hard it is to get to a movie that you can actually watch. Um, I think I shared with you before, Don and I were trying to find a movie. We went to like five movies and we had to, we just stopped watching them because they were either too much violence, too much swearing, too much nudity. You know, it was just, it was just ridiculous. And it's in our face constantly. And we also struggle with all this LGBTQ activism that's in our life that's taking away our rights to free speech and to share our thoughts. In Canada, it is illegal to speak any opinion against homosexuality. It should not be that way here. And our beliefs have nothing to do with phobias. It has to believe with we live in God's truth. But the way we address these concerns will have a significant impact on how we are heard. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48 says, For you have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles do, not, do they not do the same? Therefore you shall be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." Do you pray for those you disagree with? 
or you just call down fire and brimstone. I hate to say it, I have some, some terrible rhetoric come out of the mouth of Christians or people who claim to be Christian in social media. It's totally wrong. The, um, after the, the situation that occurred after the election, watching people you know, declare that public officials should be executed or should be, it's absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Um, and I think this message is a very important one that needs to be shared across the pulpits of America. Because that's how we, as Christians, that's how we're going to make a difference in this country. Now, we have to love people enough to tell them the truth. But Christ shared the truth with love. He shared the truth to the Pharisees. He didn't execute them. It's interesting, during the um, persecutions that happened in Europe, uh, John Wesley came up and said that, Persecution of heretics is heresy. Jesus did not behave that way. Jesus did not per persecute those he disagreed with. He shared the truth with them. Ephesians 4 verses 14 and 15 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. We need to share the truth compassionately and with sensitivity. As I've shared with you before, before I came to know the Lord, I have done a lot of things I wish I had not done. When I came to the Lord, I was not beaten over the head with the things I had done. Instead, I was taught that I had a loving God. If I recognized the things I had done and repented of those things, I would be invited into his community, welcomed, cared for, and loved. That is the message we are to share. All of us have a past. Some of us, not so nice. But we have a forgiving God. We have a sacrificial brother who loved us so much that he died for us. And we want others to join us in this relationship, in this fellowship. And finally, number four, we can't forget that we are citizens of heaven. Politics isn't the answer, and politicians aren't our saviors. We can't serve two masters. We bow to the cross, not the flag. Don't get me wrong, I love America, and the right leadership is crucial, but religious arrogance is only furthering the divide. Regardless of political affiliation, God supports the humble and resists the proud, right? James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The answer for this national crisis is very simple, but it won't be easy. The country needs to get right with God, and it's our responsibility to share the truth of the gospel. Again, the issues will not get resolved through conflict, but through conversion. As Dan pointed out last week, we're entering one of my least favorite times of the year, election season. I particularly hate the ads, um, especially the PAC ads because they can say anything they want and there's no accountability at all. 
Um, fortunately, most of what I watch is recorded, so I can fast forward through the commercials. <laughs> but I believe that voting is one of the important responsibilities as citizens of this country and of heaven. It's an opportunity to put people in office that agree with some of our values. And I agree, sometimes it's like you're picking the least of the worst, not the best. But it's something we believe that it's a responsibility that we have. I just encourage everyone to pray and vote and exist in our society the way God wants us to exist. Carry that truth into our communities. Father, we are just so grateful for you and for the truth that we have guidance with a world that wanders about willy-nilly with um, no perceived direction. We've given direction. You've given us truth. We ask, Lord, that you help us share that truth in love, that you help us to slow down and think before we speak and make sure that we speak in a way that brings you honor and glory um, and that reaches for the people that... Uh, you want us to reach in a way that you want them reached. We just look forward to the week you have before us and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.